Well, last week was a big day in the life of Center Church as we installed new elders. So elders is the biblical model that we believe here at Center Church, and it's a point of leadership. And so this last Sunday, we installed and the church affirmed three new elders to our elder team uh, to help us under God's authority and God's guidance lead uh, not only the church, but also lead under, again, our chief shepherd, Jesus. So it was funny, after service, uh, one of our young people came up to me and said, hey, Pastor Jeremy, congratulations uh, on being an old man. Because uh, he he assumed elders, uh, and I, it was a funny joke. I loved every every aspect of that. I, he was saying it tongue in cheek, and you know, you know, if you're an older man and somebody comes and a young adult comes and says that to you, that means you're still part of the cool crowd, right? They always make fun of the people they like. So, amen. I was like, yes, thank you, brother. But in all reality, uh, even though he said it funny, but we're excited that we have now biblically qualified men appointed by you, the church, to lead together under the authority of Christ. And I, I truly believe that this is a good thing for the life of this church. And may God receive glory for it and through it. If you have your Bible this morning, Matthew chapter 13 is where we will begin. We are actually going to do something a little different. This today. So first off, uh, I have been tasked with preaching on one of our core values. And one of our core values is we cherish the gospel above all. And so today I want to elaborate on that value for us. What does it mean when we say here at Center Church that we want to cherish the gospel above everything else? What does that look like doctrinally? But how does that play out practically in the lives of every single one of the people in this room Today, So it's going to be a slightly different sermon. Normally what we would do is we would take a text of scripture and we would exposit it. We would walk you through it step by step. But because this sermon is a little bit different, more of kind of a, a vision, motivational casting of what God has called us to do through the Great Commission. Uh, my goal is that first off, I'm going to explain what we mean by the word cherish. And then I'm going to talk about what is the gospel. And then I'm going to insert the gospel into the totality of scripture for you. And then I'm going to take that message and I'm going to insert it into your life and my life. And then we're going to play it out practically at the end. Sound good? Thank you. I wrote it myself. That was a joke. If you can't laugh at my jokes, we have problems, right? I laugh at all my jokes. I've heard a couple of snickers. Thank you, all two of you who are listening still. So what does it mean when we say we cherish the gospel of all? What what do we mean by this word? We're cherish. This idea of cherish means to to hold something dear to ourselves. Perhaps if you want to think of it this way, I I think a a biblical term, a a biblical uh, synonym for the word cherish is the word treasure. And Jesus talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a a treasure. So, So look with me really quickly at Matthew 13, 44. When Jesus taught his disciples, and this is what he said in a parable, the kingdom... Of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So this man, he says, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. And this man so greatly treasured this treasure that what he did is he sacrificed all of his possessions because of how much he cherished the kingdom of God even more than anything else in this world. Think about what this man does. This man finds a a field in which this treasure and the treasure is there to be understood as the kingdom of God. And he does two things. Number one, he desires it. He desires it so much that he covers it up 
And then number two, he sacrifices for it. What does he go do? Sells everything he has. Think about that in today's terms. That means he sells his house. He sells his car. He empties his bank account. Sells his dog. It's like a country song. Everything. He was willing to give up everything to go and purchase this field because he knew the greater treasure that laid in the field than what laid in his possessions. The question that we must ask ourselves is, do we treasure the gospel with that same type of fervency and tenacity? Are we willing to give up everything and anything because we treasure the kingdom so much? This is what the idea behind cherishing the gospel is all about. It's about treasuring the gospel. And listen, it doesn't matter here if you're here today and you're not a believer. You understand, we all inherently understand this idea of cherishing. Many people would get this idea of cherishing. Maybe some of us in a, in a humanistic understanding, we would say we cherish a relationship. And in cherishing that relationship, it drives all of our actions and thoughts that surround it. Or maybe, maybe we cherish a, a sports team. Maybe we cherish a career or maybe we cherish something in this world. And because we cherish it, we are willing to do anything for it, right? Let me give you an example in my own personal life this week. Because I think country music gets this too. So this week I was in my car and I was driving to Muscalitos to get some coffee and work on my sermon. And as I was driving, I was listening to some country music and on came a Taylor Swift song. Now... If you know me, all right, I'm not a Swifty. And if you don't know what a Swifty is, a Swifty is somebody who cherishes Taylor Swift. It's called a Swifty. It's a Swifty fan. Not that I don't enjoy the music. It's just not my, not my style of country. So this song came on, our song by T-Swift. And you know what I did? I listened to it. You say, well, why would you have listened to it? Well, this week, our girls were down at our girls and our oldest boy were down at my mother-in-law's house. And as a father of little girls, I, I love my little girls deeply, just like I love my boys. And because I was missing them in this moment, I was missing having that fatherly relationship with our little girls. I thought to myself, you know what? My girls are Swifties and they would love this song. And so to my shame or demise, I listened to the whole thing start to finish because I in that moment, cherished my girl so much that I wanted to listen to T-Swift's Our Song. But even as I was listening to this song, Swifty gets it. Swift gets it. Not Swifty. Swift gets it. In this Our Song, it's about these, these two young lovers. And they love each other so much that they are doing things like, Our Song is the slamming of the screen door, sneaking at late, tapping on your window. And when we're on the phone and you talk real slow because it's late and you're... Mama, don't there's some Swifties in here. If you just finish that sentence, you know where you are. You can identify. It was really interesting because I was like, oh my goodness. She gets it. She understands, her lyrics understand what it means to cherish somebody, a relationship. These, these two young lovers cherish each other so much that they were willing to sacrifice not only their time, but even their obedience. They weren't listening to their mommies and daddies which is a totally different sermon. Just because of how much they treasured each other's company. And as I thought about that, I said, well, what if we change that, Lord? 
If we truly understand that from a human perspective, how much more should we understand it from a gospel perspective? How much more should we as believers cherish God who saved us in Christ and empowered us by His Spirit? The question that I want us to ask is, is Jesus our ultimate treasure? And do we treasure him so much that we are willing to do whatever it takes to get him to other people and to do whatever he calls us to do? In other words, this morning, do you treasure Jesus so much that your yes is on the table to him? You might be sitting here asking yourself, how do I know, Jeremy? How, do I, how can I determine? How can I take a, a spiritual evaluation of how much I treasure Jesus? So I, I came up with six questions. For us to really reflect upon how much do we cherish the gospel. So number one, how does your personal relationship look with him? In other words, what does your quiet time look like? Are you spending time in prayer with him? Because you, you just can't help but not be connected to him by speaking to him as your father who is in heaven. Are you spending time in his word, listening back to him when he speaks to you? How does your relationship with the bride of Christ, the church look? Is gathering with the body of Christ something we look forward to? Are we hungry each time we come into these doors to hear from God when we gather? From those of us who are believers, what does our finances and our generosity look like? When we understand the gospel of generosity, do we reflect that same generosity in our finances to others? Are we willing, like the man in this parable, are we willing to sacrifice our money and our possessions because we love the kingdom of God more? Jesus says you can't serve me and money at the same time. What about our time? Are we using all of our time and talents to show more people Jesus? Reflect on those questions. And when you reflect on those questions, you can see whether or not you truly treasure Jesus. But I want you to understand something. If you're sitting here this morning and you think you failed in that area, listen to me, brother. Listen to me, sister. We as a church are here for you. We want to help develop and disciple you to treasure Jesus like this man does in this text. And we do that by gathering together. We do that by, by being a part of missional communities. We do that by being a part of our men and women's equip groups. Our job at Center Church is to help you become more and fall more in love with Jesus. We like to say this here a lot at Center Church. It's okay to not be okay. But we love you too much that we don't want you to stay there. We want to help you grow and treasure the gospel that has saved us from our sin and connected us back to God our Father. So, that's number one. The cherishing is not some type of arbitrary cherishing. It's a cherishing of the gospel. So now we have to ask the question, what is the gospel? If you have your Bible, I want you to turn and look in Romans chapter 4. Romans 4 verses 22 through 25. The easiest way... That we understand the gospel. I think the easiest way that the gospel can be explained is this way. You listening? Ready? Here we go. Jesus took our place. Personally, we could say the gospel is Jesus in my place. Look at the Paul says in Romans chapter 4 verse 22 through 25. It says it this way. That is why his, that his there is Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. 
But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I think Paul is very clearly laying out our truth and understanding of the gospel. So we see three truths about the gospel in this passage. Number one, you ready? Jesus died for our sin. Look with me really quick at verse 25. Who was delivered as who is Jesus was delivered up for what are those next two words? Our trespasses, not his trespasses. Our trespasses. That, you, can, you can take that word and you can say rebellion or sin. That's what he's talking about. Jesus died for our problem. Our sin condition. That word delivered there should make you think of Judas and the Jewish leaders who took Jesus to Pontius Pilate to be crucified. And the reality of the cross for our trespasses, the reality of the cross is that we see Jesus on it as our substitute, as our sacrifice. He did not go to the cross for his sin. He went to the cross for our sin. Because our sin deserves death. Our sin deserves wrath. It rightly deserves separation to God. If you want to put it into the context here, we all deserve to be crucified for our sin. But Jesus, out of his love for us, took our place. He took our sin, our death, our separation, our wrath from God on himself. Number two, second truth. The resurrection proves that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God. So look with me again at the end of verse 25. What, what does Paul say? Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for what? Our justification. So our justification is, is attached to him being what? Raised. Paul cannot imagine a gospel without a resurrection. Because they have to be connected. This word justification here, as simple as possible, means a Christian's judicial acceptance by God as not guilty because his sins are not counted against him. It is, a, it is a judgment. It is a verdict. The resurrection proves that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God. That sin and, de- and death and the enemy had been defeated. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, God declares you with his gavel of judgment not guilty. Isn't that beautiful? Because we're technically guilty. Every time we stand before God, we should know that we are guilty. But the gospel says the reason that the verdict not guilty can be given to you is not because of what you have done. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. That's the gospel. And it's evident in the resurrection. Warren Wearsby says this, that the resurrection is the act of God in terms of the gospel, whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ. On the basis of the finished work of Christ on that cross. Isn't that beautiful? If you're a Christian, don't you, aren't you thankful? If you're not a Christian, don't you desire that? Truth three. We are not only forgiven and declared not guilty, or we are only forgiven and declared not guilty by faith alone. Look what happens in verses 22 through 24. 
It says that it was Abraham's faith. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't what Abraham did. Go back. It wasn't what Abraham did. It was his faith in what God promised to do. It was God's work that he was trusting in. It was God's work that he had faith and believed in. Look at the next part, though. Paul connects Abraham's faith to our faith. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Why? But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord. The only way that we can be declared not guilty, the only way that we can be saved from our sin is to believe and trust in the work of Jesus. And that's it. Any message that puts salvation in our ability is not the gospel. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I hear the message over and over. It's about you and you and do this and do this. Don't do that. That is not the gospel. We don't put the faith in ourselves. We put the faith in the work of Christ on our behalf. You see, my faith, when Jesus reached down and saved me all those years ago, my faith is trusting in the work of Christ on my behalf, the gospel. I trust Jesus so much in his work that I know that through him my sins have been dealt with and I'm no longer guilty. To put it another way, I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I die today, I trust in Jesus' work. I trust in the blood that was spilled. I trust in the empty tomb that God will usher me into his presence forever. Isn't that beautiful? I have witnessed to people from different religions in different countries. And I was sitting with a young man one time and I was telling him about the goodness of the gospel. And he says, that's too simple. I said, thank the Lord it is. Because if it was any more complex, we'd mess it up. And he was like, you really have that type of assurance in Jesus? I said, yes, I do. Because it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on him. So let's take this message of the gospel and let's insert it into the storyline of scripture. So here's the storyline of scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And out of that creation, he created the pinnacle of creation, which was man. Human beings, mankind. He creates the very first man, the very first woman, Adam and Eve. And he gives them a simple command. Do not eat from this tree. For the moment that you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, Satan deceives. Because that's what he is known as, as the father of lies. The, the Bible paints him very, very openly as a bad dude. A, a lion seeking someone to devour. And he was looking. And he found Eve. And he found Adam. And he begins to tempt them. And Eve eats. And she gives some also to her husband Adam. And he eats. And at that moment that Adam eated, we fell. You see, we all, our true stories, our stories pick up where Adam's story began. In terms of eating the fruit. The reality is that when Adam fell, we all fell. With Adam. And, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, that seems unfair. How can I be held responsible for what Adam did? Well, the good news is that we are not necessarily responsible for him eating the fruit. The problem is, is that when Adam fell, who was our representative on earth, when he fell, we all fell into a sinful nature. We call this theologically the doctrine of original sin. So let me give it to you in two ways. Number one, 
Nobody in this room taught your children and jam staff. Nobody taught the children how to rebel, did they? They didn't teach them how to lie. They didn't teach them how to be selfish, right? You, they figured it out on their own and they actually got pretty good at it. Cause that's what we do. And you might think to yourself, well, that seems kind of, you know, yeah, okay. I see that in kids, but what about me? Oh, you're in the same bubble, right? We are in the same bubble. We know how to lie. We know how to cheat. In fact, I would argue we do it better than our kids. We know how to rebel. We know how to believe that we are God. And in our American culture, that's what we proclaim. The autonomy of self. I am my own truth. I am my own God. You don't believe me? Uh, watch the new Arnold film. The new Arnold documentary. Now, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, can, I love his voice. You know. Get to the chopper. But when you read, when you listen to his story, his documentary, he comes across as if he is the God of the universe. We get it. And the reality is, you might think, well, that's unfair. It's not unfair because God knew that when Adam fell, we would all fall with him and God had a plan. And that plan was to send Jesus. To send Jesus to save us from what Adam did. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, we move out of the headship of Adam and into and under the headship of Christ. Look with what Paul says here real quickly in Romans chapter 5, verse 18, so I can prove my point. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, Adam, so one act of righteousness, Jesus, leads to justification and life for all men. That's the beauty of the gospel. When Adam fell, we all fell. Jesus came to redeem us from our broken, fallen nature. For all who call upon Jesus, they will be saved. For all who call upon Jesus, they are moved from Adam under the headship of Christ. And that's what the Old Testament is all about. The Old Testament is pointing us to the day when Jesus would come on the scene. When Jesus would come to right the wrong that we had brought into the world. In the New Testament, the Gospels show that Jesus is the one that the Messiah, the Old Testament Messiah, had prophesied about. And then he does exactly what God said he would do. He was led to the slaughter. And he was died, crucified, and rose on the third day for our sin. And that message, brothers and sisters, has changed the world for over 2,000 years. It's that message, the reason that we are sitting here today. And the New Testament begins to, begins to bring this into full focus by saying this is what Jesus is about. Jesus is about saving the most broken, saving the most sinful people, and saving them to change them and transform them and prepare them for His return. Yeah, we need to understand something, church. We need to understand that without the gospel... People will be condemned to hell. Hell is not a very popular topic in today's American Christianity. Just because it's not a popular topic doesn't mean that it's not in the scriptures. You see, without Jesus, you're still under God's wrath. And that's why we as Christians must preach this gospel to the ends of the earth. May the thought of hell, separation from God for all eternity, cause some of us in this room to repent and believe in Jesus. While others of us feel the urgency of our mission as Christians to share the gospel. 
You see, the underlying motive for our value, we cherish the gospel above all, is this. We believe in this message so deeply. And God has shown us a glimpse of His glory through it that we can't help but treasure it so much that we have to share it with others. People who have not repented of sin and trusted in the gospel, they will be damned. And they will spend eternity separated from God and experience a lake of fire forever and ever. But as Spurgeon once said, and I'm paraphrasing, if sinners be damned, let it be so, not because we, God's people, have not prayed fervently for them, begged them with our arms wrapped around their legs to turn from sins and trust in Jesus. Let no person go to hell unwarned and unprayed for. And that is our job as the church. We cannot give that authority and that job away. Jesus has commissioned us as his disciples with the task. And until we get serious about it, until we understand that we cherish the gospel above all, we will do nothing with it. May that not be so here at Center Church Brenham. If you're here today, I'm pleading with you through the power of the Holy Spirit to repent of your sin and turn and trust in Jesus. In him you will find rest. Hope, freedom, purpose, love, and a million other reasons that he is better than anything else in this world. But if you are a believer, I'm asking you and I'm pleading with you to earnestly pray for the lost and to be bold to go tell them the good news. So from this storyline of scripture, what I want to do is very quickly, we see the gospel and how it impacts from Genesis to Revelation. Now let's put it into your life and my life. So the storyline of scripture, I said, applied to you. Here's the reality. You and I are sinners. We are broken people. We all started where Adam and Eve ate the fruit. We are born sinners. We are born in rebellion to God. This is why we experience brokenness without Jesus. This is why we are messed up. The reality is that we all know we are broken and deeply within us. And we're looking for someone or something to rescue us from our brokenness. Whether that be relationships. Whether that be drugs. Whether that be money. Whether that be careers. Whether that be sex. Whatever it is. And then God by His grace confronts us with our sinful condition. And He shows us our need for a Savior. And in steps the gospel. Listen, no matter how you've come in here today, if you are broken and hurting, I want you to know that there is a God in heaven who loves you. That's why you're here. And he wants you to know that you can walk out of here healed today. Not because of what you've done to get you here, but because Jesus is going to do for you from these days forward. You see, our faith in the gospel begins to cause within us a change. We begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. And then we begin to wait for and long for the way to day when Jesus comes back. So today, may we either respond in grace by saying, I believe in this message. Or as Christians, may we respond in gratitude and say, thank you, God, for this message. Because without it, I'm lost. Without it, I'm broken. Without it, I'm miserable. Perhaps an illustration to help you see this more fully and clearly in your own life. I get this illustration from Alistair Begg. So Alistair Begg is a Scottish pastor and theologian. I wish I had his accent because it just sounds so cool. I could probably do it in an Arnold accent, but that wouldn't sound as cool. Today I'm going to teach you about the... Now see, that doesn't sound as cool. He talks about, he uses this, this illustration to talk about the... Thief on the cross. So I call this, or he calls this, the man on the middle cross. And I want you to see the man on the middle cross and how what God did for him, today he can also do to you. When Jesus was being crucified, he was hanging between two men. One of the men 
as he was watching Jesus take the sins of the world upon himself in that moment, he realized firsthand that Jesus was taking his sin on that moment in that cross. He looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns, I believe, with a smile on his face and he looks at that thief and he says, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Pastor Begg says, could you imagine what that conversation must have been like when the thief got to heaven? He comes up to the gates. This is all just, it's not in the scriptures. It's just fun to think about. Comes up to the gates and, and, and he says, could you imagine that, that what transpired? The, the angel comes and says, hey, I need your name. The thief gives him his name and he says, okay, what church did you attend? He's like, I didn't, I don't even, what's a church? He says, okay, well, maybe you can't answer that. Well, when we're, give me your date of your baptism. And he was like, uh, what's baptism? The angel goes, okay, hold on a second. Let me go get my angel supervisor. Angel supervisor walks over and he's like, hey, uh, we have this guy here, but he doesn't know his baptism or his church name. The angel supervisor says, okay, well, explain to me the doctrine of justification. The thief on the cross just looks with a blank stare. He says, okay, well, let me give you an easier one. How about the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture? The thief was like, is that easier? The thief is standing there and these two angels are looking at this man and they lean in and they said, Sir, how did you get here? And the thief smiles. And what the heart of a child says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the gospel. Salvation is never I-centered, but rather Christ-centered. That is the message that we cherish here at Center Church. We believe that the man on the middle cross brings people from all walks of life into his kingdom. Amen? That is what we are about. We are about the gospel. We are about getting this message to as many people as possible before we breathe our last. We are about going out into our world and saying, the man on the middle cross said you could come with me to heaven. The man on the middle cross said your sins can be forgiven. The man on the middle cross said you can be changed. The man on the middle cross said you could be in a right relationship with God. The man on the middle cross did it all for you and me. Center Church, you realize that we exist because of the man on the middle cross. And because we exist because of him, and we should cherish his message above all things. You see, when we truly understand the cherishing of the gospel above all things, what that tells us is we have a certain type of mentality. And I call it the whatever it takes mentality. We will do whatever it takes to get the gospel to everyone. Whether that's giving away our resources, giving away our church members to go plant churches or go to the mission field. This means that we will do whatever is ethically, biblically and morally correct to get the gospel to everyone in Brenham, Texas. We serve the community with the intent to show them the man on the middle cross. We will go to the most broken. We will go to the most promiscuous. We will go to the most immoral. We will go to the most downcast, the outcast, every single person on the planet to share with them the grace and love of the man on the middle cross. When we say we cherish the gospel above all, we will surrender our preferences to lift up the man on the middle cross. 
This does not mean we don't promote doctrinal fidelity, but rather that we would see people come to Christ and then we will teach them correct doctrine through God's word and the power of his spirit. We cherish the gospel above all meaning. We want them to respond to the gospel like the thief on the cross over first making them adhere to doctrine and then get to Jesus. The context of our community will not change the message but we might change how we deliver the message. So our preferences, and I'm not talking biblical exclusivity or doctrines like the exclusivity of the gospel, the inerrancy is sufficient of God's word, the trinity, the incarnation, none of that. I'm saying that all of our preferences should be put on hold to do whatever it takes to get every man, woman, and child to the man on the middle cross. In other words... When we cherish the gospel above all, it implies that we don't want to build barriers to the gospel, but we would rather break down every wall so that people can see Jesus. And through our obedience, by God's grace, He would save them and change their lives, just like He did for those of us in this room who call ourselves believers. My prayer, my prayer is that if Jesus came back right now. He would line Center Church up and he would say, how did you get here? And with one voice, in complete unison, being joined by the saints throughout history, we would shout, the man on the middle cross said I could come. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Brothers and sisters in this room, it is the work of Jesus that I just preached on that causes us to cherish him above everything else in this world. Brothers and sisters, we need to preach the gospel every day to ourselves, especially when we mess up. You might have come in here today as a believer, even feeling your guilt and your sin because you have messed up a lot this week. But we come today to be reminded that it's not our work that puts us into relationship with Jesus. It's His work. We need to be reminded that even when we mess up, the man on the middle cross still says, you can come because I took care of that for you. And every time we hear this message, we should respond with both gratitude and love to the great God who first showed His grace and love to us through Jesus. But this truth This love, this passion should lead us to obedience and ought to cause us to embrace the urgency of the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. If you're a believer, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to ask God to put one person in your mind this morning. One person that you say, I'm going to begin to pray for right now who I know does not have a relationship with you. And then when he brings that person to your mind, I want you to pray, give me a moment this week. Give me what we like to call in theological language, a divine appointment. Bring that person into my life. Open that conversation so I can show them the man on the middle cross. But for those of you in this room who have never placed your faith in Jesus, I believe that the man on the middle cross is calling you to himself. 
the cross and the empty tomb are designed today to be inserted into your life's journey. You can leave today knowing that if you died, you could confidently stand before God and say, the man on the middle cross said I could be here. I want you to say that this morning if you're not a believer. I plead with you. I've prayed for you. I have prayed in this room on Thursday and this morning. I have prayed specifically for you, even though I may not know your name. I'm pleading with you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And if you're ready to make that decision this morning, I want you to pray this prayer in your head after me. God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I deserved to be on that cross. I admit that I have lived in active rebellion to you. And as a result, my life is broken. My life is messed up. And I ask forgiveness today for my sin. Today I believe that Jesus took my place. I believe that Jesus removed my guilt and shame. Now help me to grow in this newfound faith and receive the joy that comes from being your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer this morning, first, I want to be the first to congratulate you on beginning your walk with Jesus. And we want to celebrate what God has done and will continue to do in your life. So if you prayed that prayer, then I would like you to do one of two things at the end. Either come see me, have a conversation with me saying, I prayed that prayer, Jeremy, and then we can have a conversation to talk about how you begin to live out the confession that you have just made. We call this discipleship. But if you're uncomfortable with that because you don't, you don't know me, or you're uncomfortable coming and seeing me after service, or you've got to get going somewhere, then... Just for, if you prayed that prayer, I'm putting my phone number on the, on the screen right now. Everybody's heads bowed and everybody's eyes closed. You can look up and you just text READY. Text READY to 512-964-2232. And I will reach out to you and talk to you about another a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. If you were bold enough to pray that prayer, be bold enough to confess it. So at this time, I want everybody to keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed. And I'm going to give you a few moments to respond either by if you're a believer asking God to bring somebody into your life this week that you can share the gospel message with or if you just received Christ by praying that prayer that you would have a moment to text me right now simplicity of the gospel I pray today over my brothers and sisters 
you would give them each a divine appointment this week. And then empower them through your spirit to be bold. Tell that person about the man on the middle cross and what he did. Lord, if there's somebody here today who put their faith and trust in you, give them also the boldness to come and say, today, today I have put my faith and trust in Jesus. And we're going to be celebrating and be excited to see what it is you will do with them in the future to glorify your name and advance your kingdom. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name.